Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. I'm Charles Epting from H.R. Harmer in New York City. And I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And this is Conversations with Philatelists. Michael, did you bring your popcorn? <laughs> I actually didn't. Okay, I didn't either. Um, one of my loves in life, other than stamps, if mm -hmm. you can believe there's room in my heart for something other than stamps, um, are silent films. Mm -hmm. And even before I got into stamps, I'm a huge silent film buff. I grew up in Southern California. I was surrounded by Charlie Chaplin Studios. And, you know, that park is where Laurel and Hardy filmed a movie together. So I, I was just immersed in, in early cinema. Right. And I even ran a magazine for 10 issues called Silent Film Quarterly that mm -hmm. someday hopefully will be revived. Um, but, but silent movies are a huge part of my life and my passions. And when I got into stamp collecting, I wanted to see if there were ways where I could combine the two. So mm -hmm. I collect mail to and from silent film actors. That's one of my little side collections. Um, but I also love movies from the silent film era that are based around the mail. James Cruz right. made a film in 1925 called The Pony Express. There were movies about air mail. There were movies about transatlantic mail. But my favorite male movie mm -hmm. is Special Delivery from 1927, mm -hmm. which features my arguably favorite actor of all time, Eddie Cantor. Um, your dad, when I met him, mm -hmm. could not believe I was an Eddie Cantor fan. Um, I remember that was one of the first things I spoke about with him. So Eddie Cantor was a comedian. He was on vaudeville. He was part of the Ziegfeld Follies, discovered by Flo Ziegfeld, transitioned into silent films, and then became a big talking picture star um, in the late 20s, early 30s, movies like Roman Scandals and Kid Boots and Palmy Days and these great movies that nobody listening will have ever heard of. <laughs> This is going on way too long, I realize. But Eddie Cantor made one of his only silent films, um, one of his only feature-length silent films in 1927 called Special Delivery. It is postal-related, and mm -hmm. I thought that you and I could sit back and watch it together. So I've never seen this. Never you, even I, heard about it until... Have you ever you seen a silent film? Uh, yes. I don't know which one, though. I had okay, to take a that's film all good. in college, but that's all good. <laughs> um, it, it, it's an experience. Now, one other thing I want to mention, this film is about 60 minutes long. It's a six reeler that refers to the actual reels of film. They would measure them in, in increments of reels and each reel was about 10 minutes long. Mm -hmm. So this is a six reeler. It's about 60 minutes. I don't want to subject people to an hour long podcast of us watching a movie. So we're actually going to run this at about one and a half times speed. The plot will still be totally followable. You'll still be able to read the title cards, but it's just going to be a little bit more sped up than natural the, so that we know the movie is. We the are, movie is. We will be, we're going to be watching. Speed. Exactly. We're not going to be. I'm, I talk too fast as it is. <laughs> but um, but we're going to be watching the movie a little bit faster than uh, the director intended, which I apologize. But it just I do this a lot with silent films because um, it just helps. I don't know. But I'm trying to watch a bunch of movies at once. It helps mm -hmm. power through them a bit quicker. So yeah. without further ado, we're going to put on special delivery yes you're gonna it say is, something it is in the public domain so this is just wanted to yes there shouldn't be any copyright strike yeah. shouldn't be any issues with this i don't mm -hmm. think paramount's gonna come after us i hope um <laughs> so hopefully this video will be up for a long time but um as we go through the movie i'm gonna if you don't mind interject with silent film trivia mm -hmm. um and we can talk about other stamp stuff as well there's mm -hmm. other news coming up gordon eubanks sale at siegel in a couple of days so we can as, as the plot slows down we can talk about other stamp stuff but uh without further ado what do you say we we um watch eddie Cantor's special yeah, delivery please, can i uh, can i do something really quick before we begin please uh, i'm gonna share my screen yeah because there was actually a cinderella postage stamp you mentioned uh, this yeah yeah, that was that was created. Here we go. So this is a Cinderella that oh was made my. for the movie. I actually have one of. I think there's only two known covers really? with the stamp on it. Okay. I've got one of them in the office. So uh, coming to leading theaters, starring the comedy kid Eddie Cantor in Special Delivery, a Paramount Picture. And then I don't have one of these. 
Is it a letter but opener? I would, it is a letter opener. Yeah. And I would offer up my firstborn child. That is really cool. For a Eddie Cantor special delivery uh, Paramount letter opener. So um, I'm going to, I just wanted to share those to at least make it somewhat philatelic. And then... So the Cinderella's, there's only two known on cover. Um, did they have to, they could go on any cover though. They didn't have to be a special delivery cover. Correct. I would imagine that they were given away at theaters probably. Yeah. And most kids probably stuck them in a stamp album, didn't yeah. put them on a letter since it served no real purpose. I right. don't know if Paramount stuck them on mail. Mine is a letter That'd to the cool. UK from 1927. Wow. Um, in a future live stream or something, I'll show that to anybody who uh, please do. Who cares? But uh, but let me <laughs> let me see if this will work. Do you see it? Yes. Um... And can people see us? Yes, they can. Well, we're up um, in the corner, right? We're on the right-hand side of the screen. That's awesome. Um, also, the quality's not great. <laughs> I noticed. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> mention that. But uh, let's okay. just give it a go and, and see how this uh, how this turns out, all right? Yeah. All right. Uh, I present to you 1927 Special Delivery starring Eddie Cantor. Yeah, make sure the volume's all the way up. Um. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so normally there's music playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I can't hear anything, so it's great. It'll just be us talking. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to jump in really quick. William Goodrich is a pseudonym for mm -hmm. the actor uh, Fatty Arbuckle. Roscoe Arbuckle was one of the most popular comedians of the teens and 20s. Um, he got, oh, there's so much to talk about here. Don't let me forget to talk about Jabina Ralston, uh, who plays the love interest. But um roscoe arbuckle was one of the most popular comedians got buster keaton his start hmm. um his ancestors have been in the postal secret service uh since the day the scarlet letter was mailed a joke is the scarlet letter was not a real letter obviously. right right <laughs> um so uh anyways fatty arbuckle got wrapped up in a huge scandal uh that ended his career essentially in 1921 he was acquitted on all charges Um, I love movies like this. I'm sorry. The wordplay. Um, so Fatty Arbuckle uh, couldn't get a job in Hollywood under his real name. So he adopted the pseudonym William Goodrich. Mm -hmm. William B. Goodrich. Will B. Good was his nickname. His okay. promise he would be better than he had been in the past. Fatty Arbuckle scandal is a, uh, a whole nother conversation. So here you meet Eddie Cantor as the special delivery mailman. The love interest is Jobina Ralston. Okay. Jobina Ralston uh, was an actress who was not in a ton of movies. She didn't have a very prolific career. She was best known though um, for starring opposite Harold Lloyd in I think six of his feature length films. Harold Lloyd being my, my favorite I had said Eddie Cantor was my favorite actor. Harold Lloyd right. being my other favorite actor. Yeah. Uh, she was in movies like The Freshman, Girl Shy, um, brilliant, brilliant movies that, that Harold Lloyd made. And, and she was best identified as Harold Lloyd's love interest. This was right after she and Harold Lloyd had split up creatively. Uh, so I think this was her first film after leaving Harold Lloyd. Mm -hmm. You're loving this so far, so, aren't you? No, I've got, I've got a bunch of questions. So... Sure. Um, you said Eddie Cantor was, or or silent films had a bunch of male-related, postal-related movies. Uh, that's a reference to Gene Tunney, by the way, the the boxer who famously went up against uh, Jack Dempsey. But yes, there were a lot of silent film male-related movies. Right. So, I mean, do you know off the top of your head when kind of male in the mainstream media stopped being um, presented? so so much i mean that if they're all they're they're in these silent films at what point did they stop making movies about special delivery postmen about the pony express right like so that. you you had a couple of things going on at this point with, with films um you were able to present things on the screen that had never been uh you know captured on camera before this is still the, right. the real cutting edge. so they were trying to cover a lot of historical okay uh events so yeah. custer's last stand or uh, Civil War battles, or a lot of Civil War melodramas uh, in the silent era. It was basically an opportunity, hey, we can record things now, let's record their biblical dramas. Everything that's ever mm -hmm. happened in history, let's get it down on film. 
Okay. So a lot of the the movies that look to the past, the Pony Express in particular, it was it was people drawing from history. Um, there'd never been films made of these things before. Nobody had ever right. seen the Pony Express. They'd read about the Pony Express. Now they could see it. So right. history was a huge well of um, uh, inspiration for silent films. But the more interesting ones, I think, are about the airmail and about special delivery postmen. If you look mm-hmm. at a special delivery stamp, it's the postman on a motorcycle. Yep. yep. This was a very heroic figure. Mm-hmm. They would race the mail to you and, and you know, make these deadlines. The other big thing at this time were the early airmail pilots. Airmail mm-hmm. at this point, when this movie was made, is only nine years old. Mm-hmm. And these airmail pilots, a lot of them died. Uh, a lot of them risked their lives just to deliver the mail. They were very dashing. They were portrayed as handsome, heroic figures. Mm-hmm. And that made for a great, subject of a movie as airline travel in general became more commonplace you know a, a pilot today is still i would say a yeah, yeah, I mean, figure but you know the guy you who catch who, me if you can i haven't actually okay but the guy who flies from jfk to lax with a plane he, he's not exactly risking his life mm-hmm. um it, 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 air travel has become so commonplace that we um I don't we don't really think of it in the same terms as as 1918 1919 1920 yeah. when it was still new and cutting edge so I think these these sorts of movies especially a movie about a special delivery postman like Eddie Cantor mm-hmm. um it, it was also part of this trend of movies where I don't I would almost call them occupational movies okay. where the entire premise was somebody's job yeah so Buster Keaton made a film called The Cameraman where okay. he was a newsreel cameraman. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a B.B. Daniels movie. I wrote a book about B.B. Daniels, which is why I'll bring her up a couple of times probably uh, as he eats a napkin. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. It's funny. It's funny. I love that. He's, he's eating the napkin like a griddle cake. Um, yeah. <laughs> and There's no special the, effects. He did that. He did, and he's got the griddle cake tucked in like a napkin. B.B. Yeah. Um, Daniels was like a, a switchboard operator at a telephone mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. There were these movies where the entire conceit was just this person does a job and it's mm-hmm. funny because they do a job. So yeah. I think I think these movies also sort of fit into that trend mm-hmm. that jobs can be funny. If you're a yeah. pilot or if you're a steamship navigator or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So, um, I mean, it, they, it's funny. So I, I don't mean to keep getting distracted by the film. I just no, love this movie so much. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they, they do still kind of, you remember, did you ever see Castaway? Uh, no, I didn't. I not. think the what a lot of people kind of, or at least I forget, the entire premise of the movie is the same kind of thing. Tom Hanks worked for FedEx. He had a job to do. The plane went down. Spoilers, I'm sorry. I mean, it's Oh, it's this is going with the, the volleyball. Yes, with, with Wilson, the volleyball. Yeah. So he was on a plane that was going over the ocean i believe the plane got struck by lightning but it was a fedex package plane so they were they were delivering fedex packages um so the entire premise of the movie is is delivering the mail of course not usps but um, right but it's that same sort of thing where like it's a job that goes awry yeah Um, which which again that was the premise of most movies in the 20s is Mm -hmm. this guy you know delivers mail for a living and it's it's funny and how does he get the girl yeah uh very deep stuff people are probably going to be baffled that i can tell you everything about eddie Cantor's career and i've never seen that tom hanks film but <laughs> beside the point yeah yeah so uh eddie Cantor went on to have a big uh <laughs> i like that can you change a 20 dollar bill and then you said i work for the post office not the treasury department it's good <laughs> It's good, right? Yeah, the wordplay is is the people who wrote the titles. It's a very underappreciated art, I would say. Mm-hmm. But um, Eddie Cantor went on to have a, a big film and television and radio career. Um, you know, even after this, this is he'd been around quite a while at this point. But um, I'd say this is still early on in his career before he became mm-hmm. a household name. My grandmother grew up with uh, with Eddie Cantor. Uh, here he's uh, delivering a baby. This is a, a common trope. Babies being sent by mail. It's one of these things that pops up on Facebook every couple of weeks, I feel. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you actually send a baby through the mail. And mm-hmm. yes, it happened once in 1912 or whatever. There's always these urban Yeah, legends. so that that was an interesting story. It, it The full story is on the National Postal Museum. Yes, the MPM is, I so, feel like, the only place that has the truth. Right. So it was, um, it, it was a, I think, a seven-year-old child or something. And then it, it was technically sent through the mail, but the um, person, the the postal worker, the, the carrier was um was the child's uncle so it was a little yeah it was an inside job they were taking uh the child from the parents to the grandparents via the uncle it was cheaper than train fare or anything like that so they just bought some stamps and you know affixed them i believe they affixed them to the clothing of the child uh with pins or something and then mailed the child and then uh yeah, yeah and, but and, I, it, I, I've actually heard it, um, a other, co- those, couple it, other stories where they, they tried to do that a couple other times and it kind of got shot down. And again, it's one of these things that shows up all the time on social mm-hmm. media. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, the, the comic uh, genius here is that uh, the baby's trying to eat a hot dog and the dog uh, keeps stealing the baby's hot dog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, really deep are, stuff. Are those hot dogs or sausages? Um. I don't know what a 1927 hot dog looked like. I, I would okay. Assume, so the, uh, <laughs> I would assume the things were a bit more rustic back then. Yeah. Not like as our, he throws uh, them over his shoulder and gives it back to the baby, after the dog <laughs> dragged it across what I assume is New York City. Um, I would imagine it's a generic unnamed city that just so happens to look a lot like New York City. Okay. <laughs> um, anybody who's ever seen Boardwalk Empire? Yeah which is one of my few modern uh, frames of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Cantor is portrayed in Boardwalk Empire. Oh, really? Uh, he's one of the characters in that. He uh, he performs for Nucky and uh, and his cohorts mm-hmm. uh, in Atlantic City, which was, is, is accurate. He was performing in Atlantic City circa 1920 before he got his big breaks in, in films and everything. So That's interesting. Um, anybody who, who maybe, because the, the actor who portrays him looks very much like him as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, anybody who, uh, who who maybe thinks he looks familiar, maybe you've seen Boardwalk Empire, and I believe the gentleman's name is Stephen DeRosa, um, who who portrays him and is very talented and and captures him quite perfectly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So another common theme with these movies, the plot is not hugely important. You see that Blackie Morgan is trying to escape. Uh, the, the the police he's trying to get to south america to escape prosecution mm-hmm. um none of this really is relevant and it's more right. a vehicle for eddie Cantor gags like uh stealing the sausages back from the dog right and that whatever that was that he just used to deliver the mail to the, the exactly floor. the weird dr seuss looking thing yeah the, uh um, the accordion go-go gadget mail delivery system exactly exactly here he's gonna put the mail uh, on a bunch of balloons Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's too lazy to use the staircase. Obviously, this is the yeah, this is the premise of the film. The uh, um, second time balloon mail was ever actually used, and that's that's true. That after the what 1873 Buffalo yeah. balloon mail stamps <laughs> were issued, this yeah. was uh... <laughs> second use. Yeah, imagine trying to prove postal uh, as, as a postal historian that a that a letter was carried by balloon. Yeah, he by helium balloon. <laughs> exactly to the third floor apartment. Uh, very yeah. difficult very difficult uh hope nothing goes wrong oh no (laughs) the balloons took the basket with them right this is this is uh what what uh in my mind qualifies as great comedy Mm -hmm. so he's got a gun now what's gonna happen he's yeah gonna shoot the (laughs) i got them all with one shot classic i know i know and he even (laughs) did a little dance before he shot um Another thing I love is that they usually use the actors' real names as the character names. Yeah, I noticed that. So, like, Harold Lloyd in a lot of his movies, he'd have a different last name. Mm-hmm. He'd be, like, Harold Meadows or something like that. In this, it's just Eddie. He's he's playing himself. He's Eddie Cantor. Everybody knows mm-hmm. he's Eddie Cantor. Why call him, like, Steven or something? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. call him Eddie. It'll, it won't confuse anyone. Jabina, on the other hand, uh, gets, a, gets a character name. Mm-hmm. Um, so... trying to think of other uh, eddie Cantor trivia to share with you um 
So have you heard of Al Jolson? No. Al Jolson was a contemporary of Eddie Cantor. They had a very similar repertoire. Okay. They were, I don't want to say competitors, but they were, they were both, um, you know, Jewish American comedians in the early 20th century with a very similar shtick. Mm-hmm. Al Jolson was very over the top, very, I don't want to say full of himself, but full of himself. Al Jolson was just superlative in every way, right? Mm-hmm. And Eddie Cantor, from what I've read, much sweeter, down to earth, mild mannered, uh, family man. Uh, he was uh, he was married with I think five daughters, um, and they're both buried at the same cemetery in Los Angeles. Really, Al Jolson has a domed mausoleum with a like seven step waterfall coming down from it. Wow and a mural mosaic underneath the dome and statues of himself dancing. And it is like the Disneyland of grave sites, right? Mm-hmm. And Eddie Cantor is about 50 yards away. Okay. He's inside the main mausoleum. He has a little brass plaque that's about this big. Mm. And he's next to his wife. Yeah. And Eddie gets the little box in the wall. And Al Jolson gets the waterfall mausoleum to himself and as I far think as that fame goes i mean was there a big difference between the two of them so al jolson's claim to fame is that he was in a movie called the jazz singer in 1927 oh, yeah which okay. was the that first talking the... picture okay this was the birth of talkies yeah so al jolson was in the first talking moving picture okay i think that automatically catapults him to fame yeah i would say that eddie Cantor's career was more varied it was longer lived Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, I, personally, I would prefer the mailman's ball. Love it. Uh, we should still have those today. Um, maybe they do. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, Eddie, Eddie Cantor's career was, was much more, um, uh, consistent. I would say Al Jolson had these peaks and valleys. He was in a, uh, there was a movie made about him in the forties called the Al Jolson story, which was a fictionalized biopic about him so i would say jolson was probably more famous mm-hmm. but uh eddie Cantor maybe had more critical acclaim and was more beloved by those who who got him um eddie's kind of an acquired taste i would say okay um yeah here he but, is assaulting every single person on correct the street uh, because she said she'd go to the ball with him he left half of all the mail that was in the mailbag yes just on the side of the road um yes um, but, but Eddie's other thing, I, what I love about Eddie is he, uh, during the depression in particular, wrote a series of books, comedy books mm-hmm. that were, um, uh, very inexpensive, very small little hardback books mm-hmm. with jokes about the depression to try and cheer people up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he was very much a man of the people, yeah. uh, Florence Ziegfeld of the Ziegfeld Follies, mm-hmm. who, I love how he delivers the mail. Um, yeah. Lauren Ziegfeld, the theater impresario who discovered Eddie Cantor and gave him his break. When he died in 1937, Eddie Cantor wrote a book about him. Eddie Cantor very much never forgot where he came from. He very much cared about the people, I feel. He was always about making people laugh. He had these quips, these radio shows, these newspaper columns, things like that. I feel like he was just very much a, a, a decent, down-to-earth man, whereas Jolson was on another level. Jolson mm-hmm. was a star. Eddie Cantor was a common man. You can mm-hmm. relate to Eddie Cantor very much in these films um, mm-hmm. with the little things that kind of get him down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> can I just point out the the massive difference between him delivering the mail and everybody just around him, cheering him on, just really revering him. And then this is being one of your favorite silent film actors and one of your favorite silent films and then one of my favorite tv shows portrays the post office in such a different light so uh you've seen seinfeld yeah i've seen a couple episodes okay so newman um very much not revered uh everyday postal worker he's not yeah yeah so that was a big part of his um i thought he worked for the ingen corporation the what Oh, you didn't get my joke. 
in gen from Jurassic Park. The, uh, the uh, king, right, right, the, yeah. The embryos, yeah. The no, Jurassic no. Park. Joke. So Sorry. Newman uh, was a postal worker every day. You know, that's why he's always. That's why they were portraying him in such a, a negative light all the time. He would. He was always at home. He was always out not delivering the mail. There was an episode based entirely around where Newman is sick and Jerry has to deliver the mail. And Newman gives him a key to a storage locker where all of the mail is. All the undelivered mail for the past. They open up this storage locker and all the mail just comes pouring out. And Jerry being Jerry um, delivers all of it. Uh, and Newman, end up, Newman ends up getting upset because his, his boss calls him because he knows it wasn't him delivering the mail because more than 50% of the mail got delivered. So it was the, it was this big, the, the whole episode was this big bit around how postal workers don't deliver mail on time and how they're not uh, punctual and, I... and, and how they don't care about delivering the mail and it's just a big scam. Um, I'm curious when impressions of the post office change. I'm sure people have yeah. always thought that the mail takes too long, going back yeah. to, you know, 1792 or whenever the post office was was founded but um you know they were still quite heroic uh, at this point i would say mm -hmm. especially the airmail pilots the special delivery yeah. pilot uh, uh, uh deli special delivery men on their motorcycles mm -hmm. um whereas like now they're reducing the size of a lot of priority mail boxes and envelopes yeah they just said they were going to slow down mail delivery to try and save money because mm -hmm. yeah. and yeah it is a it is a punchline it doesn't surprise yeah. me that seinfeld you well, know, was, a, show, a show that critiques everyday life would yeah. get such joy out of critiquing the post office. There was another episode where Newman was behind the counter and Kramer decides he doesn't want mail anymore because all he's getting is junk mail. People just, you know, call him or I don't remember if he had a computer at the time or just email. People just call him. He never receives any letters of importance. So he goes to Newman to ask for his mail to be stopped. And Newman's like, I don't know, I don't know what you mean. Do you want to close your PO box? And and Kramer's like, Of course I don't have a PO box. Just stop delivering my mail. And Newman gets all sketchy and you can't do that. And he's like, Well, of course I can't. Just stop delivering my mail. And he kicks him out of the post office and and says, You know, I don't want you back here. We can't just stop delivering your mail. It, it and it was this kind of um, it gave you this kind of feeling of you know there was something going on behind the scenes that the post office knows that it shouldn't be operating this way and it is operating this way but that's how the show was kind of portraying the post offices uh, they've, they've got you they know where you live they're going to keep delivering your junk mail whether you like it or not and and just a completely different picture here where they're i mean almost i feel like almost it must have been around the invention of of junk mail <laughs> that the that it's uh, true it's you true. know that that the, the the idea changed behind the the people's you, feeling for the post office because are you just, following the plot here by the way i'm i am i'm so sorry i'm not i no, assume you're at the... <laughs> so I, 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 I want you to um to just, just tune into that there was okay. a there was a, a big wheel like a, a raffle wheel they spun to win a life-size doll okay so eddie of course wins the life-size doll Mm -hmm. And Jovina is there trying to get Eddie's eye. Mm -hmm. And Eddie is dancing with the doll. And uh, in order to make her jealous, mm -hmm. he acts as if the doll is a real person and kisses mm -hmm. it, takes her up to the balcony. And she sees Eddie getting handsy with what she thinks is a, a, a woman, but is actually yeah. an inanimate object. Mm -hmm. And it's, here he's just putting her uh, the doll's hair on his yeah. shoulder to make it look as if just you see this whole thing. So um mm -hmm. Um, maybe this isn't the the postal service employee being portrayed in the best light, right? Saying, but other movies, <laughs> for sure. Right, but he's not wearing his uniform. In in Seinfeld, it was it was all Newman working as a post office employee, and uh, it, he was almost being instructed to do these shady things rather than um, Eddie Cantor here out of uniform, just Correct. acting as Correct. a person. Um, yes. it, but when the uniform goes back on, he's a very respectable person um get, delivering the mail by any means be honest um, can you do this dance i can't i can't i'm not remembering remembering all the scenes from seinfeld where newman was portrayed in such a negative light there was a light drizzle out so he said he couldn't deliver the mail and then jerry's like what about rain sleet snow and then uh he was like oh that's just a marketing ploy we don't we don't you know 
anything more than a light drizzle where I'm not out there delivering the mail. But that's how they... But, you know, going back... Uh, Did you see the no, ice no, no, cube fall the... down his shirt? <laughs> An ice cube fell down his shirt, and he's yeah, going to win dancing. the dance yeah. contest because of his moves. I don't mean to keep interrupting. But no, no, I... I'm just I'm re- recalling the post office and postal workers portrayed in that kind of 90s and maybe late 80s uh cliff what's his name cliff from cheers i've never seen cliff clavin cliff clavin was a postal worker always in cheers always talking about uh always at the end of the bar talking about the mail um but he was portrayed as um kind of more you know he was proud of to work for the usps whereas uh newman was was not Newman's a really... cog in the bureaucratic wheel. Exactly, where Cliff was. I am a I'm a USPS mail carrier, and uh, you know sometimes the mail doesn't get delivered, but through rain, you know neither rain nor sleet or snow. Um, it, it it was, yeah. I mean, just recalling postal workers in in different media contexts through different shows is really interesting to see how. Unfortunately, I think that Seinfeld and Cheers are both still under copyright protection. Yeah, no, I don't think we could get away. With, <laughs> I don't think we can watch those on here. Maybe we can watch Pony Express from 1925 sometime. Right? Yeah, that'd be um, that'd be interesting. <laughs> Dad said not to come home till I earn twenty thousand. So far, I owe sixteen dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, we another thing that I think I don't is even on this suit. It's fine. <laughs> Another thing that I think is important to point out to people who maybe don't aren't familiar with silent films, mm-hmm. there's a lot of silent films. Uh, some estimates put the number at around 75 to 90 percent of silent films don't exist anymore. Really? So there are movies that I would love to watch with you, The Fast Mail, and I think it's one called Express Mail, and all these things that um, physically do not exist anymore. Okay. Wait, there was a it, fire, wasn't there? There have been a couple of big fires. 1937, there was a yeah. big fire at the Fox lot. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, Michael. In 1920, let's say, yeah. they never could have imagined that there'd be home media for mm-hmm. movies. I mean, yeah. that wasn't a thing until the 70s. Okay. To be able to own a copy of a movie that you loved. Yeah. For most people, for your average person. Oh, it's Chicago. Uh, oh, never mind. It's not in Chicago. That's just a, a joke. Um, Is that about the Chicago fire? It's about the Chicago fire. Okay. Um, comic gold um (laughs) so people also didn't want to see the same movies over and over again a movie would run for a week or two and then that would be it you'd see the next movie Mm -hmm. it wasn't like today where you might watch your favorite movie you know a dozen times because you love it so much back then it was hey i saw eddie Cantor in special delivery what's next what's the new Mm -hmm. harold blight movie what's the new buster keaton movie so once a movie was made yeah it would travel from theater to theater. It'd be in one theater for a week and then the next theater for a week. And then once it had run its course, once it was old news, there was no point in keeping it around. Hmm. A, these things were highly volatile and flammable. Right. So they were dangerous to keep. And B, the chemicals in the film itself were valuable, especially during wartime and things like that. Hmm. You could, you could, you know, uh, get more value out of destroying the film than you could keeping it. Mm. So movies were not meant to be preserved. And a lot of actors like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton would keep their own films, which is why so many of them survived. But for your average film, maybe without a huge name star in it that was made by a a mid-tier studio, it was screened for a couple of months and then it was done. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there are still new discoveries being made today uh, of, of lost films. Uh, really? This is a hugely popular, uh, you know, it, it's a big news story whenever something new is found. But um, yeah, most of the movies that I, I reference or I've researched or I've written about are no longer available for viewing, which is unfortunate. Hmm. He just delivered the new August magazine, so he knew it must be March. I'm sure these things were hilarious in 1927. <laughs> My so favorite in uniform again. Exactly. Uh, 300 beans. COD, cash on delivery. That's a mm-hmm. thing we don't really have anymore. Yeah. Um, my favorite title card from a silent film mm-hmm. 
1928. Uh, look at that. Uh, look at that jacket. It's from a 1928 movie called Feel My Pulse. Okay. There was a reference to Tunney earlier, T-U-N-N-E-Y. And I said that was the boxer Gene Tunney mm-hmm. who, uh, who fought against uh, uh, Jack Dempsey. Mm-hmm. There's a title card in Feel My Pulse that says something like, oh, uh, she might think I'm Gene Tunney's librarian. Okay. And to this day, I have no idea what that joke means. Okay. <laughs> it was obviously a reference to something that was relevant in 1928. Mm-hmm. And I have zero clue what it's about. And that's why it's my favorite is so many of these jokes are yeah. so dated. You know what I mean? Like, you know, just like somebody making a MySpace joke in a movie 10 years ago or something. Yeah. yeah. They, they just get lost to time. And, and this Gene Tunney's librarian joke is sort of the epitome of that for me that it's like i'm sure that cracked people up in 1928 yeah and i have no idea what it's referring to so you'll see jokes like that that are just they miss the mark to an audience 194 years later (laughs) i decided it's too expensive so i'm gonna mail it back This, this, and I also want people to realize we're watching this in low resolution. Yeah. Uh, from a YouTube rip with no sound. Yeah. There's four o'clock all over town except at Woolworths where it was still five to 10. Great wordplay. <laughs> Great wordplay, right? Yeah. Um, if you had seen this in 1927, you would have been in a theater. Mm-hmm. The image quality would have been impeccable. People yeah. don't realize that you know 35 millimeter film is is basically hd i mean you know i I was talking to you recently about star wars which is filmed on 70 millimeter film i think and you can get 8k resolution Mm -hmm. out of physical film yeah so these things you know something like we're watching now has been ripped over and over it's probably been on vhs then it's been ripped from vhs it has been downgraded so much that we are not doing this film justice by watching it like this yeah. The other thing, they're called silent films. They were anything but silent. There was an organist who had all of these tools at his disposal where there would have been car horns and sirens and all sorts, you know, crashing. Pl- they would break plates to make noise. Mm-hmm. They would, it really wasn't um, silent by any means. So uh, I, I think silent films sometimes downplays how vibrant and lively a movie like this would have been in person right silent as far as speaking goes exactly silent in in terms of they couldn't have the soundtrack synced up but Mm -hmm. these organists were uh as much a part of the picture as the actors every time the movie played it almost had to be different sound they would improvise there were there were uh, there would be sheet music that would give them motifs to use yeah. This was common where there'd be sheet music, hey, here's the theme to this movie. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was just riffing. Yeah. Does he look familiar to you, the uh the bad guy? Uh I can't really see his face right now. But uh I'll just go ahead and say no. <laughs> You're just gonna assume <laughs> that somebody alive in nineteen twenty seven in a film. Yeah, doesn't doesn't look familiar to me. <laughs> Have you seen a movie called The Thin Man? No. Have you heard of a movie called The Thin Man? I haven't, no. Uh, it's, all, it's all good, man. Yeah, it's okay. The Thin Man came out in 1934. Mm-hmm. It is uh, one of my favorite film franchises of all time, widely mm-hmm. considered to be one of the greatest films of all time. The Thin Man is Myrna Loy and William Powell and their dog, Asta. Okay. And they play Nick and Nora Charles, who are crime solvers okay who are as suave and dapper and elegant as anybody to have ever lived nick and nora charles are um i hate using modern vernacular but they're couple goals michael (laughs) william powell though who went on to become this great leading man very beloved one of the most famous actors of all time um, was often sort of typecast as a villain in his early role. So I keep bringing up this 1928 film called Feel My Pulse. William mm-hmm. Powell was also the bad guy in Feel My Pulse. 
Okay. Um, and then he managed to sort of transition from being this vaguely shady bad guy to being a leading man who was very dashing and very handsome and uh, in the films married to Myrna Loy uh, and, and uh, William Powell in these early roles, it's, it's just very different than what most people know him for. Mm-hmm. So um, you should watch the thin man at some point. I was getting on his, Oh wait, Nope, that's a police sidecar. I thought he was going to get I on mean, a special delivery motorcycle. Oh, interesting. Uh, the Finn Man is uh, as good as they come. I've seen that movie more times than I can uh, even uh, even count. It was nominated for Best Picture in 1934. Really? It was, but uh, that's William Powell for you. And, of course, every time there's a vehicle involved, there's a train coming. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, there's always a horse-drawn carriage. Uh, same old, same old, every one of these mm-hmm. movies. And it, it never uh, gets boring. To me. Yeah. He can't hear the train coming because it's a silent film. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> and he saved in the nick of time. <laughs> right. So, um, so, so these question about, always, question about that, gonna, though. We've only got a couple minutes left. And I just want to say these movies always culminate in a chase. It's yep. always a chase. It's always mm-hmm. like, all right, uh, exposition um you know yeah. uh, here's the character here's the love interest oh they can't be together she's mm-hmm. gonna marry her boss who ends up being the horrible criminal blah 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 and then there's just a chase scene he's got to get to her before she leaves for south america with him mm-hmm. it's like the 1927 french connection it, it, and a lot of these movies are said to have inspired the graduate really yeah you've seen the graduate of course of course have you no, it's it's on my list. I've seen the French that's Connection. That's modern now. for me, Michael. That's I know, I know. It's modern for you. Seven. Yeah. That's uh, that's I've basically like yesterday. Every other Dustin Hoffman movie except for that. He's one of the best, right? Yeah, I'm wait. I'm waiting. Um, uh, you've got to see The Graduate because that is yeah. uh, said to have been inspired by these frenetic chase scenes from silent mm-hmm. films. Yeah. Um. So, question about that. I know there's yes. in these uh, silent films a lot of these. Actors would do their own stunts. Buster Keaton, you know, famously yeah. all his own stunts. Was that an actual train coming at him that they then had to time perfectly to pick him up? Probably. Otherwise it would hit him? Probably. Okay. So if they mess that up, both those actors would die. Potentially, yes. Hmm. Harold Lloyd. I'm scared to ask if there were any instances of that actually happening. There were. Um, there were. I'll tell you about one of those in a second. Harold Lloyd again my other favorite actor uh was supposed to have a, a fake bomb in a movie in about 1918 i think okay um like a dummy prop bomb yeah uh, that ended up being a real bomb that went off and took a couple of his fingers with him oh no so he had a prosthetic hand for the rest of his career because Jeez. he lost a couple of fingers in an accident um even worse there was an actress called martha okay mansfield okay who was in a civil war period drama Mm-hmm. She was in a, a crinoline dress, a big, you know, Civil War, you know, uh, Southern Belle dress mm-hmm. that was incredibly flammable. Yeah. She caught on fire and nobody could put the fire out because the dress was so flammable. And uh, that wasn't even one of her own stunts. I think somebody was smoking a cigarette and it, it caught her dress on fire and she she passed. So there were instances of actors and actresses dying in the Like, uh, in the like that. That was incredibly dangerous. They just had him on the on the fire ladder there and he was just about to go under a bridge and he's gonna vault onto the ship <clears throat> and there's jabina ralston mm-hmm. what do you know I, lo- I love that he still has his mailbag yes me too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's still in full special delivery dress his full special delivery dress with the hat and he's got his mailbag with all the mail and they arrest blackie and she realizes that's who she was going to marry in South America. Mm-hmm. And then what do you think happens? Um, she goes down the ladder. She ends up with Eddie Cantor. Yeah. Not going to lie, I think Jubina Ralston was way out of Eddie Cantor's league. Yeah, but he's in uniform. It's true. That's true. Can I uh, just make one more connection to stuff that I love? Okay. Everybody knows that I collect the NRA stamp, the National Recovery Administration stamp. Right. Special delivery. It's funny. Um, there's a, a sheet, piece of sheet music that I have from 1934 mm-hmm. 
35 maybe. It's a song by Eddie Cantor called I've Got Another Day from the NRA to Love That Baby of Mine. Okay. If that's not the most 30 song title ever. <laughs> um, but Eddie Cantor promoting the National Recovery Administration. That's a, a, a real uh, mashup for... for that, yeah, that must be the most... The most Charles Yeah, most Charles Epping yep. collectible on the, on the planet. So there we have it. Eddie wow. Cantor in special delivery with Jobina Ralston. What's the next silent film we're going to watch, Michael? <laughs> I think we'll... Uh, no, that was great. I, I think we'll probably. I would love to do this in the Pony Express movie sometime too, though, yeah. if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Um, again, this is this is uh, fun fun for me. Speaking of Flo Ziegfeld, he also discovered the actor Will Rogers, mm-hmm. uh, another one of my favorites. And if you look right there, you can see yes. my friend portrait yeah. of Will Rogers. Yeah. Uh, another Flo Ziegfeld, and that's a framed piece of 1920 sheet music right there. Okay. Um, just, no, that was good. I, it's interesting to see how different the postal services portrayed, and then you and know, how different the movies were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no color, no sound. Yeah. Uh, no plot to speak of, really. Right. She's with a guy who ends up being a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I feel like this this plot of like misidentification of bad mm-hmm. guys is it's like um, anything goes. It's such a common trope. Like, yeah, you and, think and he's good, but he's bad. If I may, or you there think he's was bad, but he's good. I don't know. There was really no point to Eddie being a special delivery postman. It led to some great gags. Yes. And but I think they could have done him, it without that. But it gave him a noble purpose, I think. This yes. idea that his father is not proud of him mm-hmm. and that he's sort of a disgrace to the special service. This, mm-hmm. I, I think it gives him some more gravity in that role yeah. than if he was just some guy. Yeah, if he was a a a, a painter or a an archite- a, a contractor or something. Yeah. I think it wouldn't have been as um, important for him to find honor and to arrest Blackie Morgan in the end. Yeah. So, so okay. So so going into it that way, I mean the the postal service again gave him more valor. Uh, yes. Than than any that other is. position, which thinking back on other ways that the postal service is portrayed and more modern media it's it's not very similar i don't i feel i feel like i'm no you would never say a comment if i'm wrong but i mean no you'd never say somebody's a letter carrier aren't they uh so noble no no that sounds no but but that's how it's portrayed in the media media. yeah exactly exactly they're usually bumbling government stooges they're they're newman they're cliff clayman exactly cliff clayman again was very the the barbasol can with the embryos yeah (laughs) Cliff Clavin, of course, was very proud of his position, but you never saw him delivering the mail. He was. But the whole plot is that he's at a bar every night. Yeah, I mean, everyone was. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree, though. That, yeah, this, um, again, it, it's partially that special delivery is, I don't want to say fairly new. It's, what, 40, 50 years old at this point. But right. the idea of the, of the motorcycle is still mm-hmm. fairly new. The, yeah. the, you know, you look at the special delivery stamp that was the basis for the special delivery Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's using cutting edge technology to deliver the mail faster as well. He, he didn't have a motorcycle though. He didn't have a motorcycle. He was on foot. He was on foot. Probably because he was in a big city. I feel like the motorcycles may have been for more rural areas. Okay. Where he had to get a letter across town for special delivery. Yeah. Whereas in like New York, you can walk it a couple of blocks. Yeah. In undisclosed city location, you can walk it. Correct. In undisclosed large city. Uh, that also happens to have like a train yard right nearby. Like whatever, whatever they need for the plot, like, oh, we need a yeah. forest nearby. There's yeah. always like everything, right? We need a beach. Um, you know, there's always, it's always these very, I mean, there's a movie called Sunrise from 1927 with Janet Gaynor. Um, and I love it because they're in the big city mm-hmm. and then they get on a trolley car, right? Like yeah. a trolley car that you would take, you know, a couple of blocks. And all of a sudden there's this like mountain chateau villa. And the trolley car drops them off in this little mountain resort. Yeah. And I'm like, how did the trolley car run from like midtown Manhattan <laughs> to, to you know, Aspen yeah. in a couple of minutes? Yeah. The cities geographically never make sense, but that's part of the charm of the silent era. They were still figuring things out. Mm-hmm. Movie industry is still very um, uh, infantile at this point and, mm-hmm. and still, uh, there's still- Nobody's worrying about those things. No, exactly. It was, it was pure entertainment. You see Eddie Cantor eat a napkin and tuck a uh, flapjack into his collar. Mm-hmm. I find that to be pure entertainment. I find that to be as good as it gets. Michael, thank you for 
indulging me <laughs> and watching Eddie Cantor with me. No, this was uh, this was good. It was interesting. It was you weren't fully on board with the idea at first, but I think right. it turned out. Uh, I, I I hope people like this. I hope it's somewhat yeah. interesting. I I hope it um kind of makes people question as to what what happened. I Why hope it inspires people to only watch silent films from now on? Right, right. Well, what I really what happened? Why yeah. do won't don't we portray the USPS as more of a you know honest position anymore? See, you're getting... This is the difference between you and I, Michael. Okay. You're getting philosophical. Yeah. I'm thinking about when the uh, the dog ate the hot links. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that was good. Great, right? Good. And it, yeah, he dragged... He dragged, he dragged the, the whole hot train of hot links. Uh, it was across classic. Across New York City, and then he just gave them back to the baby. Classic. Um, classic. Mother came and picked the baby up. Michael, this is a lot of fun. I would love to hear people's thoughts about this. Is this something you were interested in? Should we <laughs> never do anything like this ever again? Should we just end the podcast now because we've jumped the shark? Let us know in the comments. No, we've got some exciting... I'm really still excited about some, some great of these stuff guests coming up. that we've got I was going to say, no, all kidding aside, we do have some, some more conventional episodes coming up, but I like uh, thinking outside the box. I like getting to watch silent films. And I had never heard of this movie before and it's interesting to know that there were so many silent films based around delivering mail um, well let's watch let's watch another one of them soon okay awesome michael right. as always this is fun if you're yeah. listening to this i don't know why you made it this far if you're watching us on <laughs> youtube you can also find us on apple podcast spotify podcast google podcast we're at philatelypodcast.com Email us at flatlypodcast at gmail.com. Michael and I are both active on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Michael J. Court and Charles L. Epting. Mm -hmm. um, and as always, thank you for joining Conversations with Flatalists. Michael, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, let's do it again real soon. Yeah. See you next time. Sounds good. All right.